0: Well, good evening. Hey, welcome. Welcome back. For those of you who uh, were with us before our summer break and summer's kind of a fun time. I hope you guys had had some good time off. Uh, Weather was kind of weird. Our kids were outside like every day, even though amidst all the, you know, raining and flash floods and all that sort of thing, but... I'm just pumped that we can get back together and just be kind of a different setting. Now, if, if you haven't been with us, this setting is a little bit different than we've done it before. We've typically had rows. We haven't had kind of this table and chair set up. But we're, we're just kind of trying something new for, for a couple of weeks. One, one of our values of Wednesday Night Community... Is, is that we really want to be in a, a place where authentic relationships can be built. And that's easier when you see a name of someone across the table and you, you recognize a face and then you see that face on the weekend and you can you can remember the name and talk to people and that sort of thing. So hopefully this, this will be just kind of a, a fun kind of community connection here for us uh, for the next 12 weeks. Feel free to get up this evening, go grab some coffee and a cookie and sit back down. So you, that's, not, that's not interrupting anything if you do get up in that way. Um, another thing, someone, um, I think Stacy reminded me earlier, we, you always, I'm used to grabbing a pen in front of me and there's no pen in front of you. So you got to go like this. Now you've got to go like this to get a pen. So they're behind you. So if you have a, if you have a bulletin, uh, and you want to jot some notes down, we've got some fill in the blanks. You can reach behind you. Like if you're flexible enough or ask the person behind you, I guess, to, to grab one. We're, we're going to be starting a, uh, a series over the next twelve weeks, looking at something that is like hugely important for me anyway wisdom um, a couple weeks ago we have we have our staff chapel every Wednesday morning. And uh, Pastor Scott usually leads that. And a couple weeks ago, he asked us to to do just. Sometimes it's like leadership development kind of stuff. Sometimes it's more of a devotional focus. And and so, anyway, at the end of one of our staff meetings, he just said, "Hey, I kind of thought it'd be cool. I'm going to bring like a board up here, and and I want you guys to just uh, write, come up on the board, and write your name, and just like a one, like a one word, if if we could pray for you for one thing. And you don't have to do it if you're not comfortable, but." So people come up to and they said there's some paper over here and grab a piece of paper and find one on there write it down Take it back to your desk and just pray for it this week And so and so we did that and we're kind of sitting there and and i'm i'm thinking as people are writing on the board They're just one word things, you know this and that and then they go sit down and and i'm just looking at the board And I don't I don't know exactly I guess maybe maybe a fourth Maybe a fifth of them. I don't know. There's all these words up there were words like direction guidance discernment wisdom and as as I was looking at I'm thinking about where we're going this fall and I just thought this is like this perennial issue it doesn't matter if you've just graduated high school and you're going, man, where am I going to go to school? Am I going to work? What am I going to do? It doesn't matter if you've just graduated college and you're like, what kind of job am I going to take? Am I going to move? It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of your career and you're like, should I transfer? Should I go for this job over here or should I just settle down here? I'm not sure what's going to happen with this, this thing. It doesn't matter if you've hit retirement. And you're like, now what are we going to do? Are we going to move to be close to the kids? Or are we... Every stage of life thinks about guidance, direction, discernment wisdom. It's, it's this sort of daily necessity thing. And so what I want to do is we're going to be kind of leaning hard on the book of Proverbs during these 12 weeks. Proverbs is, is this collection of Proverbs, these wise sayings of the sages. And they're, they're things like dad written to his son. And then when that son grows up, him passing him on to his son. Sometimes a mother writing to her son, writing to her child. So it's, And then later they're collected, and it's this sort of ancient, ancient text of, like, this is, this is what a wise life looks like as it relates to, like, dealing with conflict, or as it relates to stress, as it relates to relationships, as it relates to fill-in-the-blank. A wise life touches everything. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 2. And uh, I just want to read verses 1 through 5 as this kind of launches us into these, these next 12 weeks as we spend some time looking at different aspects of what a wise life looks like. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. Now, it's, it's, it's written from a, a father to his son, sometimes a daughter to uh, her, her son. But, uh, so it's, it's masculine words, but it applies to, to all of us, male and female. My son, if you accept my words... And store my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for wisdom, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now the first thing I notice in this, if you if you have a if you have a bolt and you want to fill in the blank, there's a couple of blanks to fill in there. The first one is that you're you becoming a wise person. Solomon is telling us here in the book of Proverbs. It must be an active pursuit. Now what I mean by that is I want to contrast that from the word passive. Okay, basically look look at all the action verbs in here. If you, if you call out. If you cry aloud, if you look for, if you search for as hidden treasure, that's the only way it will ever happen. Jesus leaned on the same idea, and he said those who, who, who seek, what? Find, right? Those who ask, receive. Those who knock the doors open. He's, he's, he's borrowing this language of to become a wise person is this active. It's not, it's not a passive activity. So in that sense, we could say you almost have to, have to be, have to become like ambitious about wisdom. You, you almost have to become desperate for wisdom. If you're going to become a wise person, it has to be like the like the front burner issue in your life. Because see, here's the challenge. Adult pedagogy tells us adult pedagogy is sort of the study of how adults learn. Adult pedagogy would say typically adults, unlike children, only learn in crisis, okay? Have you experienced that before? Where it's like crisis, it's like, okay, I better figure this out. So that's, that, that's kind of one of the challenges. And, of course, the problem with that is that that's usually when it's too late, right? Um, typically, the learning should have come before the crisis, and yet the way adults tend to learn, social scientists tell us, is by crisis alone. So we find ourselves, you ever found yourself this, where you go like, how, how did this happen? Right? How did I get here? How did this happen to me? Now, notice that's all passive language. It's, it's sort of victim kind of language. I'm completely passive. How did this happen to me? Now... Most people around you kind of go, uh, everyone else knew how it happened to you. <laughs> everyone else is watching. Apparently, you're the only one who doesn't know how it happened. But, but much of our language, when it comes to wisdom, or typically when we lack it, it's this passive assumption that what in the world? How did I get here? How did, how did I get to this place? The reason why is because passivity is the language, according to Proverbs, of fools. Proverbs says a fool is passive A fool, a a, a fool, not a pool, a fool doesn't think about what will happen if I do this. What will happen? What will be the consequences? How how will this work? How did it work last time I tried? A a fool doesn't think about that. Listen to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, you know, the rest of this, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. That's that. How did I get there? It's like, it's immediate, like, what in the world happened? How did my life crumble? How did I get here? Because it was a thousand tiny, incremental, little decisions in one direction that were so small, almost unnoticeable. And he says, see, a fool is unaware that every decision you make in life shapes the shape of your soul. Every, every thought that I entertain in my head shapes patterns of how I'm going to act the next time, how I'm going to act the next, how I'm going to respond the next time. And pretty soon I'm out of place and I do something and I go, how did that happen? And Solomon says, the wise person, the wise man, the wise woman is aware of how we learn, how we grow and thinks carefully. But so if, if, if you've been at that place before, if you've been at this space of going, man, like how did I get here? How did this happen? This, is, this series is for you. I've been at that place. I get at that place. This series is for me because I need to live wisely. So if, if our lives are going to play out to the very best possible story, we need wisdom to finish that journey. One of the, one of the coolest pictures in the Old Testament, there's, the, 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 there's this woman, she's a, she's a queen. She's, she's from the south She's from uh, somewhere in uh, North Africa, the Queen of Sheba. And she, she hears about this guy named Solomon, the guy who's writing this. Now, she's like culture removed. She's, you know, distance removed. And she goes on this journey like, I've got to figure out if this is legit, if this guy's for real, if this is. And so she searches. She goes on this long trip, and you could read it in First Kings or in First Chronicles. And it, and it talks about he gets her, and it says that she's asking him about life and meaning and purpose and all these sorts of things. And when she gets done with this interaction, she just goes, this is, this is more magnificent than I even heard. This isn't even half. It's phenomenal. And she was like after wisdom. And Jesus, years later, told that story when he was speaking to some people who were, who were kind of doing the like incremental, stupid, little foolish steps in one direction. And he said, even the Queen of the South, he said, she's going to rise up at the last day, and her very presence is going to condemn the way that you live in your life. Because think about it. He says, that's the way you pursue. That's the way you go after you search for like treasure you long for. You go after wisdom. So here's the question. Where do we start? Okay, that's great. I need to go in a certain direction. I need to have an orientation in life. So how about step one? What does that look like? This seems like a massive thing. That's always the difficulty when you have something huge and complex. Where to start? Proverbs chapter 1, let me read for you 1-7, because it tells us. Here's the first, very first step. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. He says, now, this, he's, he's going to say what we're all wanting here. For gaining wisdom and instruction. For understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple knowledge and and discretion to the young Let the wise listen add to their learning Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables the sayings the riddles of the wise The whole endeavor the whole enchilada. That's what we all want, right? He says here you go verse seven The fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom He says that's the start of it. The fear of the lord Is the beginning of wisdom that's number two in your outline your becoming a wise person has a point of departure. It has a starting point. And according to Scripture, it's this thing that we don't necessarily really get yet. I don't know if you get it. The fear of the Lord. Now, have you guys ever noticed that, that, that there, are, there are phrases in Scripture that culturally I'm really comfortable with? Like I could, if someone's on the street or a friend of mine who's not a who's not a follower of Jesus, I could talk about, like, you know, forgiveness and you know certain things like that. And then there are some things that are kind of like so not PC. They're so not politically correct that you're kind of like we kind of do like yoga around it to not really have to talk about it, or it just it seems a little uncomfortable. In other words, culturally, it's a it's a stumbling block, and each culture has its own. You go to uh, you go to certain cultures. Um, Ones that are we talked this last week interview here uh, honor shame cultures honor shame cultures have no problem with the fear of God They uh, to them the idea of forgiving your enemy is absurd. That's a stumbling block Western modern cultures. We love the forgive your neighbor thing. We're bothered by the fear of the Lord thing So each culture has its own objections to boy. The Bible makes me uncomfortable and this I think is one of those that, if, if you're from a modern Western culture, this is probably an offense to you. This is probably something that you're not comfortable with because you're wired by culture to say, ew, that's just, no, we need to just you know hug and be nice and you know we're the product of flower children in the 60s. And, and so that's, that's, that's our roots. But see, here, here's one thing that I know. We are all afraid of things. There's one thing that I know about every person in this room is that you you have this deep thing in your soul From as far back as you can remember fears fears about different things when you're a kid I mean, how is it that we you know the, the dark places of our rooms we, we we fill with You know goblins or gremlins or zombies zombies are the thing right now You know, we fill those those places with that as as early as we can remember We have fears of things and these fears are irrational They they shoot up at times with, with no head notice. But all of us have significant fears. If, if, if you would say, I don't care how brave of a person you are, if you would say, I don't have any fears, you, you might be an android. You, you, you are not a human being. Okay? Everyone has fears. Here's what I'd like you to do. You ever seen the show Fear Factor? Or heard of it? You've, you've heard of the Fear Factor? television show where it's like they basically it's a reality show and they make people Do these like horrible experiments of like, uh, okay get into a car and you know It's submerged underwater and you got to be there for You know a certain amount of time and then you get okay good you pass to the next round or uh, you know You've got to get into a a crate that's buried in the ground and you get spiders put in there a spider crawl in your mouth or you know a clown jumping out of you I don't know what it is, but Really scary things and so here's here's what I want you to do. I want you to take three minutes We're gonna have a countdown clock on on the side. So it's three minutes if there's six people at your table That's 30 seconds per person. Okay, don't go into a life story. Okay 30 seconds. What would be if you were to go on fear factor? What would be the the uh, the experiment the practice that you would crack you'd break? Uh Uh-uh can't do it Don't want the money. I'm quitting Okay What's the one fear factor experience that you would be done with? Does that make sense? Share real quickly thirty seconds each, three minute countdown on the on the uh, side screens. Go. Okay. How many of you didn't want to talk, so you just got a cookie? A Couple, Donna. I saw you do that. Okay. Let me hear a couple. Like a couple fear. Anyone have clowns? That's my wife's fear. It's so weird to me. But that's okay. What are what are what were a couple like? What's that? Hissing cockroaches. Not touch, but just hissing at you. Yes. Oh, I ain't crawling on you. Okay. Okay. Snakes. Yeah. Catfish? Did you say catfish? Specifically catfish, not trout or just, but catfish. Okay. At the island marina? Catfish in the island. Specifically catfish from the island marina. Okay. Guatemalan catfish are fine, but it's the... Okay. Ant. Drowning, yeah. Heights. Confined spaces, claustrophobia. Okay. Spiders, bears. Buried alive. Isn't this fun? This sounds. You guys are going to have nightmares. Absolute nightmares. Tonight. This is. This is crazy. Well, here's, here's my thing. Okay. Here's here's kind of the big question that hits me. Wait a second. Okay, most, most of the things, most of the relationships with, with people or things that I've had in my life that, that have had this characteristic of fear have typically not been a positive thing in my life. And, and yet Proverbs is telling me, like, the starting point, your point of departure for doing life well is fear of the Lord. But I, I, tip, I like, typically relationships that I've had, that are that are characterized by fear have not been a point of like nourishing encouragement, in my in my life, and and so for me to think oh fear is like the foundation that man I mean we might kind of go that seems like a stretch it seems like a stretch it doesn't really work in many other things so how how can that possibly be the case here because Proverbs is telling me that the fear of the Lord it's the beginning point of of all of these endless possibilities in life of beauty and truth and goodness so whatever whatever the journey is of going from a fool as scripture talks about to to one who's living a wise life whatever that is the space in between starts with this thing called the fear of the lord whatever it is proverbs 14:27 says the fear of the lord is a fountain of life isn't that interesting makes me think of that, that Samaritan woman that Jesus talked to and talked about water. And he said, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would ask me and I would give you water. It would be like a, like a fountain flowing up in your life. that would never end. And she says, give me this water. That's, that's the kind of life that is promised through this idea of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And it turns a person from the stairs of death. So if, if we can figure out what this means a little bit more, and we'll, we'll be doing this kind of throughout this whole series, we're kind of looking at like different facets of a multifaceted diamond here. If we can figure out what the fear of the Lord means, it will let us live, live with contentment where we're like we're no longer slaves to circumstances for our personal happiness. No matter what struggles come to our life, Proverbs tells us, if you start with the fear of the Lord, if that's the bedrock of, uh, of your life, of your faith, then no matter what struggles come, it will not be able to rock the core of who you are. There will be a buoyancy to that, to that core. So, so here's the question. What, what then is the fear of the Lord? Now, there are a lot of qualities in the Bible about God, and the fear of the Lord is just one. There's, there's tons, but it says we've got to start here. We've got to start at this one spot right here. Now, the first time fear, any guesses the first time when fear is mentioned in Scripture? First time. Adam and Eve, they sin, and it says they hide. And it says God comes pursuing them, and he asks them the question, Why are you you hiding? And what do they say? Because we were afraid. We were experiencing fear and from from this first time on, any time in scripture someone comes in contact with God and not in some sort of a mediated way, but comes in contact with something close to like really him terror they are terror stricken they're falling on the ground they're they're saying i mean there's one time it says, you know the I pray that the rocks would crush us. That would be better because there's this like m- almost melting, soulish melting experience in coming before this God of the universe. From there on out, Abraham. Abraham meets God. And during this like the most intimate connection he has with him, one, this, this, this covenant-making experience, it says he sits down in this deep darkness A fear falls over him. Likewise, Moses comes in contact with, with God and he's, Absolutely terrified. Maybe the one of the most significant is the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Let me, let me read for you the words from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is uh, the prophet speaking, he says, I saw the Lord. And he was high, he was lifted up, he was exalted, he was seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, word for angels, each with six wings. With two wings they were covering their faces. This picture of respect. We're not even worthy to be in your presence. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and the threshold shook and the temple and it filled with smoke. And then listen to what Isaiah says. Here is his response. He goes, "Woe to me! I cried. I am ruined. That means I'm a goner. I'm dead. I'm up a creek. I mean, however, I am done with that soulish melting experience he had in simply seeing this sort of representation." of who god is he's he's he said this for i am a man of unclean lips and i live among a, a people of unclean lips my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty he's saying the things that come out of my mouth the things from my heart they're not right i'm hypocritical at times i say things that aren't true i approve of doing things that aren't right at times i'm i'm an evil pr- even the the words that come out of my mouth i'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips this is this frightening experience. One of, one of the, I would say, the most frightening experience I've ever had in, in, in all of my life. I was in college, and I went with our college and career group, kind of our youth group for college at the church I was going to, a, a whitewater rafting on the Arkansas River. And we, we were going down the river, and you get to this one particular set of rapids, and there's the one place that guides have been telling us about all day. They've been talking about it. They've been saying, when we get there, don't worry. We're going to stop and talk about it then because it's so kind of technical and have, how, you, how you have to go through it. It's called Seidel's Suckhole, or they called it the Toilet Bowl, which I prefer Seidel's Suckhole than going down the Toilet Bowl. Take a look at this video is not me going down it, thankfully, but um, take a look at this video, about 20 seconds of Seidel's suckle. So I was going down the Arkansas River. We got to the point. We got out. The guide talks us through. This is what's going to happen. Here's how we're going to do it. We have to do it a very specific way. You guys have to listen to me. And there's different ways. You can, you can go like the left kind of skirt around it. There's a right straight way. Or you can, you can be brave, and you can go right into the center of it. But you've got to do it the right way. You saw someone that didn't quite make it. Because what it does is it's like this toilet bowl. And it just absolutely—it can flip the boat over and just suck things down, and, and so you've got to go just at the at the right speed. And so we were going, we we were going, and there was the boat in front of us—you know—we're going at about the same speed. Hits it, then it starts to get pulled back into it. We bump that and push it out. Well, because we bumped it, we got stuck in there. We, so it kind of went like this and just flipped us. And I had a life jacket on, and I I went under, and I wasn't expecting. So I'm not taking a big. <gasps> But I remember going in under the waves, and it was the most powerful, massive, like feeling of pressure around my body. And my body was just twirling and twisting, but fortunately, there was still light. So I started to come back up. Well, when I came back up, the next boat was coming. And so I came up underneath the next boat, and I felt it well, if you wait there too long, it sucks you back under. And so it sucked me back under, and it was pitch dark. And I remember being so scared because this it didn't matter that I had a life vest on. It didn't matter that I you know, I had, my, had my paddle for a second there. It didn't matter that I had instruction. It was, so, it was unmanageable. And my body was just being contorted and twisted. I don't know how to break my back or something. And it was pitch black. And I remember being so scared thinking, this is it. The next face I see, it's, it's going to be Jesus. I mean, I really thought, this is it. And at, at, at just the last minute, when, when I just, I couldn't hold my breath anymore, I started to see a little bit of light. And I came up and it spit me out down the river 40 yards or something. Up And I came up and I remember taking this huge breath. And for the rest of the day, I was just like flattened. I was so, I was so shaken. I, I couldn't do anything because I had been in the presence of something that was so unmanageable. It's like my soul melted within me. I just couldn't. Even respond I couldn't get back to regular life. I couldn't step back into it the rest of the afternoon My brother was with with me. Just are you okay? Would you hit your head? What's wrong? Because I just I couldn't even hardly function It was unmanageable That's what happens when someone encounters the real living God He is so unmanageable He's like he's like nothing anyone has ever experienced before Now, this isn't just the Old Testament. You might kind of, oh, sure, that's Old Testament. We're New Testament people. The very last book in the New Testament was written by a guy named John. John was among Jesus' 12. He's closest. But then Jesus had an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, and he was in there. And then Jesus had a best buddy. and That was John. John was Jesus' best buddy. And he was young. Fast forward years later, the book of Revelation is written when he's an, he's an older man and he's been exiled to an island by Rome, Patmos. And, and he's there and it says, on the Lord's Day, which is, which is Sunday, he said, I heard this voice like a trumpet behind me. And he said he turned around and in chapter 1 he, he says he saw Jesus and he describes him in this fantastical sort of Isaiah chapter 6 sort of way. He describes him and he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Why? Because he had been in that wave, this like unmanageable reality of the living God. This was his best friend. And yet in his, in his unmediated presence, he was floored. It's like he couldn't even get up. His soul melted within him. And see, everyone who really, really comes in contact with the real God has this experience of fear, of awe, of I don't know what to do with this. This is unmanageable. And my life and see I I would suggest that The reason we don't like this idea in the west the reason the west the reason we're uncomfortable with it is because one of our core values Is subduing nature through technology? That's become a modern value. We want to conquer and subdue things control manage things by technology and then we come in contact with the one being Who cannot be managed he can't be manipulated he can't be controlled He is in every way superior to us and our soul melts Because it's like nothing we've ever quite Experienced Wait a minute Uh, I thought the fear of the Lord was supposed to lead to this life and all this where in the world are we going with this thing here? Well, let's let's think a little bit more closely about fear number three on your outline And there's not a blank there, but let me, I want you to write down a phrase, because this is huge. Whatever you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. Whatever you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. Um, I am claustrophobic, like authentically, truly. And it's like getting worse as I get older, which I hate. You know, a two-door car, ask me to jump in the back seat, I'll be like, oh, I'll ride on the top, I'll hitchhike. No, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do it. An elevator that's crowded, If I will make a scene to get out of the elevator, okay? <clears throat> my, my fears establish the boundaries of what I am free to do. If you're afraid of enclosed places, you'll stay out. If you're afraid of heights, you'll stay low. If you're afraid of crowds, you'll stay in. If you're afraid of clowns, you'll stay away from circuses. But whatever you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. Alan uh, Alan de Bloom or de Botton, is is a uh, he's a French atheist. Uh, he 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 wrote a book called Religion for Atheism, and his whole point is that when I he said you know when I left the God thing, I didn't realize that I had to abandon all these things that I liked, like a calendar and uh, Christmas hymns and all these sorts of things. And and so he's he's sort of trying to create a religion for atheists. And um, Alan makes this point that he says, fear is humanity's central motivator for making decisions in life. He says, fear is the root of all good thinking for most people. But see, if, if you don't believe in God, this makes sense. It makes sense that that fear is your primary motivator in life, fear of our extinction, fear of your rejection, fear of our selection. All of these things are our central drivers. But I know this, whatever you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. See, whatever you fear fuels your perspective, how you approach life, relationships, your, per- your perceptions, your experiences. You are more shaped by fear than you know. Probably some of you know quite well how much fear has shaped you, but see here's the problem And here's another point under that Whatever you fear is also your master Whatever you fear is your master it because it tells you how to live You ever thought about that? Whatever it is that you really fear or all the things that you fear will tell you instruct you how to live and every other master but God is a cruel master, to say the least. Proverbs 29 contrasts these two kinds of fears this way. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The fear of man. Um, you, have you ever lived your life in fear of what other people think about you? Does anyone here a people pleaser? You ever fear someone will reject you? You ever fear that, like, well, what if I offend them? What if I break? What if I hurt this relationship by saying this? And then it's just it's just sort of over. And as I look back over my life, I think some of the worst decisions I've made have been made out of fear of man. And that means anything besides God. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of how I'll look. I'm afraid of how I'll be perceived. I'm afraid of what this person will think about me. I'm afraid of what I'll think about myself. And I... What I know is that when I when I focus my fear on, on anything less than God, I'm a slave to something less than myself. See, fear is kind of like worship. Is worship a bad thing? If you're a follower of Jesus, you go, no, of course not. But when does it become a bad thing? When you take something less than God and you idolize it, it eats away the inside of your life, right? That's why adultery is so bad because... Something less than god can't support the way to your soul You were made to to run on this sort of infinite reality of god And so worship is great unless you turn it towards something lesser and it's destructive fear Toward anything less than god will destroy your life. It'll keep you bound and many of us know what that is like So the fear of the lord begins to start to make a little bit more sense maybe just a little bit if If fear establishes the boundaries of my freedom, and if whatever I fear uh, has mastery over my soul, then doesn't it make sense to refocus all of my fears, this and that, all the little things that control me, and to direct them toward the one who will never exploit me? He will never use that to his own gain because he doesn't need, in that sense, anything from me. He's pure love. Now here's what's here's what's really interesting. We talked about Abraham, we talked about Moses, we talked about um, Isaiah, we talked about John, being terrified. But what's so interesting is that as soon as these people reach this like like fulcrum point top of the mountain where they just go, oh my goodness, and they're terrified, they fall, and their soul melts within them. Do you know what God does? He always goes, don't be afraid. Wait a minute. Tell me, I'm supposed to be afraid, and then you say, "Don't be afraid." I mean, is, that's that's like, that's like, that's breaking the law of non-contradiction. Come on, is am I supposed to be afraid, or am I not supposed to be afraid? Both. Here's the point: until you really are afraid, you haven't experienced the real God who can love you. It's once you come at his presence and you realize how massive he is, you realize how his magnitude, his greatness, his beauty, his his power, that nothing is out of his control. At those moments when you get that, you have the sense of, oh, my goodness, I'm undone. But then he says, don't be afraid, not because you were wrong to have been afraid, but because I can mediate that presence in a way that does not burn you up. And I can transform you one of the coolest stories back to isaiah isaiah chapter 6. Do you know what happens after isaiah goes i'm undone and he's just like i'm dead i'm out Because he says i'm a man of remember unclean lips Again in a very pictorial hebrew way He says god sends an angel over to a fire and he takes a coal out of the fire And he brings it up to isaiah's lips and he says and he touches his lips And he says you're pure I've i've, I've bridged the gap i've mediated the difference between your sinfulness and brokenness that Adam and Eve, and ha- Adam and Eve has ex- have experienced in all humanity ever since that moment of fear and the true God who should be feared if I'm standing before him with no mediator, nothing in between, no more than I can stand on the surface of the sun. And he says, I can mediate that. I have cleansed you. I've mediated my sheer, raw power that would naturally consume you. And then he calls us things like children. He calls us things like friends. At the end of the story, he calls us things like a bride. How much would you protect your children? How much would you protect your friend? How much would you protect your bride? But see, you'll never get there if you don't start with the fear of the Lord. See, for years, we thought the fear of the Lord is this like bad thing, this thing to shy away from. We, but we didn't realize the fear of the Lord leads to life. Without it, you will never understand why you should follow Jesus. You will never understand why you should follow a mediator between you and the sheer raw power of infinity. Like getting caught up in that wave. God wants you to fear him because it will lead to a better life. A life of beauty. 1 John 4.18 reads this. I I love the statement. Now John, this is the same John. He tells us, fear God. And then 1 John 4, 18, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And what he's saying is this, if you will direct all your fears in life, all your insecurities, all those things that that, that that hold you back, that keep you limited, that, that, that keep you stunted At a soul, heart, emotional level. And you redirect all those fears to this one. This one who will never exploit you. This one who can mediate that presence, that sheer infinite presence. And then he says, I will pour my life. Remember that like springs of living water. I'll give you part of myself. And it'll complete you. And you come into my presence. Not saying, oh, fear of God is is a ridiculous thing. It's that I I feared god because i came into his presence I, that's the only response i can have in, in light of the real god and this god said i love you and i have given the greatest gift myself so you have nothing to fear you can approach the throne of grace with extreme radical confidence not not because i'm a kitty i'm a lion but you can approach me with confidence because I have paid the price. Last thing in your outline. Question number four, who will you become? We're doing this series on wisdom. This is just kind of like scratching the surface. Okay, what's this wisdom thing about? We've got to start here. If we don't start here, we're going to get off and have things. This is our foundation. But here's the question. Who, who, who will you become? Because remember, Solomon tells us it's by it's by seeking it's like after going after treasure It's by it's it's working hard. It's like anything you've ever done in life It's not done in five minutes Because remember every little decision you make Changes the shape of your soul and the wise life wisdom calls to us and says take this little tiny decision Take this little tiny step and it orients us toward that lion for that infinite power mediating it so that it never damages us. Will you search for it like treasure? That's, that's our question. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, this, this, this is kind of a heavy subject. We turn, we turn to Scripture and, and we see that you tell us to start at the very first place something that it, it it's tough, especially for us kind of modern Westerners to get our mind around the fear of God. And I don't know if I fully get it. I don't I don't think I do. But God, I want to seek it. I want to keep searching. I want to keep digging. I want to keep trying to understand what does it mean? What does it look like? How do I pursue this life of wisdom? And Lord, I pray that dur- during this series, God that we would we would discover what a wise life is. We would experience that infinite power of your spirit inside of us, guiding us and directing us, shaping us from the inside out. not, not outward conformity, us trying harder. It's not that. It's you changing us from the inside. but we we put ourselves, our, our, ourselves on the table and we say mold and shape us. God would you do that? I know that this is a prayer that you always answer book of James says whoever lacks wisdom should ask for it and God will give generously we ask for wisdom because we need it for all the things in our life God so thanks for these next few weeks we're starting on this journey God we don't know entirely what to expect but we're starting we put our hand in yours we take steps and help us to keep coming back to this reality of how great you are and may that shape everything we do may we have no fears because we've sent them all your direction we pray this in jesus name amen amen hey would you do this i just want to take four or five minutes there's a there's a great anthem of the church it's a it's a declaration a song called how great thou art and it's a way for us to reorient ourselves to kind of go i got I got to This whole wisdom thing requires me understanding God's greatness. Would you stand with me? Let's sing this as a declaration, and then we'll be dismissed, and and we can take off after that. This week, may your soul sing in all that you do of how great our God is. Amen. Our prayer team is going to be up front. If you've got kids, go grab them. If there's any cookies left, maybe they can devour them finish them up. Hey, so, so great for you guys were here tonight. Looking forward to being with you again next Wednesday. Have a great week.